Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. So, um, it's been a little bit, a uh, little bit more recent um, in posting than it was previously, and I'm hoping to make that more of a um, recurrence and something that I keep on doing and I keep on challenging myself to um, to make sure that I get done is posting episodes more frequently because I want to. And I can celebrate having a little bit more time um, now because as of about a month ago, I finished college, which is, it's relieving and um, I'm grateful for it and, um, you know, all glory to God on being able to get through that. Um, I know for some people, they're able to grind it out in no time at all. And for me, it wasn't quite that simple. Um, It was tough to get through. And, um, you know, I, at one point I tried to shrug it off and I was honestly kind of disappointed in myself and how long it took me and what my path looked like. But, you know, at the end of it, I think that my journey through college was a lot different than, um, well, it was, it was just, it was my journey, you know, that's, um, It went a little differently than I'd expected, but I'm pretty happy with how it went and how it turned out, and I'm just glad to be done with that and focus on some other things. Um, I felt like I was getting really like antsy there in my last term and was just so excited to wrap up that, that part of my life, and... I mean, I might go back to school again someday. I don't know. I haven't decided if I ever want to get my master's. I'm just not sure if it's, to me, if I feel like it's worth it. If somebody else, if you're listening and you have your master's, congrats. That's amazing. Really, like, that's quite an achievement. And it's just that I've seen others that have gone through that program. And I'm just like, I don't know if I put that, you know, that struggle and that, you know, that sweat into something. I might be better suited to put it into something else in my life. And that's just me. But to those that want to pursue that or who already have, hey, that's awesome. And I'm not saying that I won't do it. Who knows? Maybe I will. But, um, yeah, I'm just excited to focus on work, um, you know, focus on my relationship with friends and family a little bit more. And, doggone, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't trying to find a wife. But, you know, that's its own journey in itself too. It's gonna, it's not something I can rush, but until then, um, I'm happy to just be able to focus on me, focus more on this. I would like to, to, uh, create more episodes, get, um, maybe a little bit more creative in how I, how I do it. Some of the topics that I touch on, um, and kind of use this as more of a platform to just open up and, be a little bit more transparent and honest with the things that I'm going through in my life and in my mind and everything, because that's been evolving a lot, especially over the past several months, as I have shared on the previous episode's intro. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a lot lately. I've just been thinking and been very introspective, which I think, um, while it's felt overwhelming, I'm really grateful for I started, uh, you know, I think I, I, well, yeah, I've definitely spoke about just kind of, uh, reinvesting and into my, uh, in my faith and it's been, it's been really good, but I started watching, um, a series by Dr. Jordan Peterson 
um, about Genesis. And I got to tell you, so it's on the Daily Wire. And um, yeah, I mean, these, each one is like a couple hours long and it is, it's some heavy stuff. It's really, it really makes you think. And, um, you know, it drove me to a point where I was just thinking, I don't know, I was kind of feeling really small and I was feeling really insignificant when I just had, you know, Dr. Peterson's, you know, explanations of kind of human activity and, um, and the, you know, the way that humans think and act and, um, you know, the fundamentals of what makes a person and why we choose to live by the, um, kind of the, the boundaries that we do. It was just a lot. It was like really overwhelming, but also really eye opening. And, um, it's just made me think a lot, you know, and I'm, while I'm glad to have that, it's just, it's overwhelming to it sometimes, you know? And I think that that's, I feel like I've taken my, my like focus away from some distractions in life that I used to have with like social media and like, you know, trying to, trying to date, but not also like not date intentionally with like the right kind of woman for me. I was just kind of being reckless in that regard. And I've started reevaluating some things and I don't know, I've just been thinking a lot more about the world and, and people and, and God and, um, and everything. It's, it's been good though. I've been, I've been reading a lot more for fun, you know, reading books just for my enjoyment, which, um, you know, I'll say like, that's not something I've usually done, but I've really been enjoying it. Um, one of my friends gave me a copy of Anthony, Anthony Bourdain's, um, kitchen confidential. And I read some of it and I also listened to some of it on, um, audible while I was like, you know, it's kind of handy when I go for like motorcycle rides rather than listen to music, just listen to a book on audible. So I listened to that and it's read by Anthony Bourdain on audible, which really, um, adds to it, to the experience of listening to it a lot. Um, but that was a really good book. There is another book I just started, uh, reading or listening to, I should say, um, recently called, uh, the giant killer by, uh, David A. Yuzik, uh, with Neil L. Yuzik. And, um, basically the, uh, the gist of it was there's this, uh, police officer that was on patrol and he always noticed this really, um, this really small homeless man. I mean, when I say small, I mean like he was just a very small person. He was like four foot 10 and, you know, weighed like a hundred pounds. And so he got to know him and became really good friends with him. And eventually this man uh, told the police officer, like one day when they were sharing lunch, I think I need to tell you like who I really am. And, um, he, uh, so the, the homeless man's name is Richard, uh, Flaherty. And he, uh, basically told him that he is the small, like the smallest U S soldier. And, recorded history and he became a, uh, green beret captain and had all this time spent in Vietnam and was involved in all kinds of different, um, operations and missions. And a week after he told him this, 
he got hit by a car and was killed. And so this police officer felt um, like he basically wanted to go and write this guy's story. And he kind of made him that promise because when, um, when he started opening up about his past, that was part of his, his thing is he said, will you help me share my story with the world? And he said, yeah. And so after, especially after he died, he felt really inclined um, to bring his dad into the fold to help him write all this and get it out to the world and everything. But um, he tracked everyone down that could basically back up his, this, you know, homeless man's story, all these claims. And um, I am, I can't, I think I'm like nine chapters in or something like that. But anyways, um, really good book so far. And it's amazing. And it, it's, it's inspiring. Somebody that, you know, was, uh, although physically very small in stature, did some extremely um, heroic and amazing things. And it was, it's just been a really inspiring book so far. But anyhow, um, and that book, again, is called The Giant Killer by David A. Yuzik, uh with Neil L. Yuzik. Um But anyhow... Check that out. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the episode. So with this one, I sat down with one of my, well, with, yeah, I mean, my best friend, Breton Beach. Um, I've known Breton since we were in kindergarten. And uh, so I've known him a really long time. We went through, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school together. We used to live together for a little bit. And uh, we've always been, you know, really close. And we've known each other a long time. Um, but something that he got into, um, not too, you know, within the past couple of years was paramotoring, which is basically you've, maybe you've seen them, but it's those, um, these individuals that strap a fan to their back basically and, uh, get a running go, pull a shoot up over them and they take to the skies and can fly to amazing heights all by themselves um, with this with this mechanism, and it's it's wild. But uh, I encouraged him to try to to get into this and everything, and because I could just see like he was really interested in it. He just seemed like he got excited whenever he talked about it. He was looking at all these videos about it, and I was nervous thinking about my best friend flying like thousands of feet up in the air. But um, I also know you know he's 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 a badass dude and he can do it and he's brave. And if, you know, I was like, yeah, if anyone can do it, he, he can do it. And he's tried to, he's tried to entice me to get into this and maybe I will someday. I just have that worry that I'm going to accidentally kill myself and I'm going to be real upset in that moment. You know, if I realize like, shoot, I shouldn't have got into this. I'm about to kill myself, you know, but, um, who knows? Maybe I'll give it a try someday, but, um, Breton basically, uh, breaks down how he got into it, why he wanted to get into it. Um, some of the cool things that he gets to experience while he's flying and, um, you know, what steps you could take, uh, if you were interested in getting into paramotoring as well, schools that you can go to, um, you know, media that you could look at to learn a little bit more about it and see where your options are. But um, anyhow, I hope you all um, enjoy this episode with my friend, Brent Rich.
yeah, we'll go ahead and just dive on into it. And uh, yeah, so so paramotoring. I guess my first curiosity is like, at what point of you like, when did you start taking an interest in paramotoring? Uh, I took an interest pretty much the first time I ever saw it on YouTube. And after that, I kind of, you know, as one does when they take an interest in something I saw on YouTube, I went down the rabbit hole and started, uh, you know, trying to figure out what it's all about, you know, the applicability of uh, paramotor to see if I could like, oh, could I ever like commute on this thing, whatever. And uh, yeah, from there, it was quite some time before I was actually able to uh, get involved in the sport for financial reasons because it's got a bit of a pricey startup. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you saw it on social media, took an interest from there. And then I guess like, what about it? Like, I mean, I think I've seen it like even before you started dabbling in this, I'd seen videos and while it seems cool, I was like, that seems kind of sketchy. <laughs> like it. Were you, um, intimidated at all at like the approach of it or were you just like that seems dope no I thought it was dope from the get-go uh, I've never really been uh, scared of heights and before I started doing it I was I was working on cell towers so like you know my my work office was 200 plus feet in the air already and you know what's the difference between 200 and 10,000 you're dead either way right <laughs> and and with this I've got a parachute. I didn't have that when I was working on the towers. So that's a good point. No, and it is, you know, as long as you don't put yourself in a scary, you know, dangerous situation, it's no more dangerous than driving a car. I think an argument could be made that it's even less dangerous. Oh, okay. Well, for if somebody was interested in like getting into this, like, so you said you were hung up on kind of like the, the cost of entry. Like from your research, what did that, what did the entry look like? Well, you know, there's lots of, uh, factors that would adjust your, your price. I wanted something that was brand new and I didn't want something that I was going to think after a year, like, eh, yeah, you know, this rig's okay, but I want to upgrade to something else. So I kind of went for one of the more expensive models. Um, and I also opted for, uh, training, which, added on like a like two two grand i think so all in all my whole package which is like training a reserve shoot uh my wing and the motor itself was uh right about 15 grand okay you said opted for training like do you not have to yeah that that was something that really kind of blew my mind when i was you know researching it and figuring out there is zero licensing training required. Literally, Joe Blow on the street could throw this thing on his back and have at it. Anyone that's got the cheddar can just go buy one of these and give it a go. Yeah, exactly. Dang. Okay. So what did what did training look like? Was it hard to find a class? Or they? Because we're for those listening, we're like we're in Oregon. Um, are, is there any in Oregon or is there only like one area where you can really go and do this? Yeah. So I think that, um, in the few years that I've been, let's see. So I think it was like 2019, 
when I first learned about it and started, you know, kind of, you know, looking into it, not with, I knew it would be a while until I could uh, actually afford to do it. So, you know, I was kind of looking at it, but not really diving into the weeds. Um, and back then there were like a few, um, big schools in the country. There's one on the East coast called aviator. They're, they're probably the biggest, uh, school in the country. And they've got, I think they just opened up a second location, um, on the East coast in Pennsylvania or something. Um, but then here on the West coast, um, there's one called team fly halo. And those are the guys who I trained with. Um, they've got, uh, two locations in Northern California, um, by Eureka and then they've got uh, one down by uh, the Salton Sea uh, that they do in the summertime. And do they... Sorry, hold... the winter. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's like seasonal courses. It's not like they like they don't just do one every week or anything. Yeah. Well, these bigger schools do. They, oh, okay. they run them like a lot. You know, they're pumping, pumping guys through. But I think they obviously do have a more uh, busy season paramotor is very much dictated by the weather wind gotcha. mainly that that would make sense and i guess what does the curriculum look like from the time you get there and like, like what is the process kind of like? so for me it was a it was a 10-day course and like the first like four or five days was like exclusively uh learning about the wing and all of like the practical hands-on training we did was kiting. Kiting is well, hold on. So the wing that's like I get that's the shoot that you have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we should probably describe just real quick for people who don't know what a yeah. paramotor is. So a paramotor, imagine, uh, is a parachute, but not like the you know you would see like a you know airborne in the army jump with. It's not round. It's um, it's like a long, skinny rectangle with tapered ends, kind of, um, closer to like what a skydiver would use, but a lot longer. Um, and it's a two-stroke motor uh, with a giant fan on the back. The one I use is uh, got three blades with 130 centimeter props. Um, yeah, so I'm clipped into a harness. The wing the parachute is clipped in uh, on the harness as well which is clipped onto or the motor is mounted on the harness i should say and uh with a running start you just throttle down and off you go um Dang. and but, is the chute itself pretty durable like is it seem like you know is it gonna hold up to whatever debris i guess you might run into in the um it's it's moderately durable ideally it doesn't have the opportunity to, you know, get itself destroyed. If you if you ran it into like, you know, a barbed wire fence or something, like obviously it's it's gonna tear. Uh, it's it's obviously needs to be light, so it's made out of a thin material. Hmm. I haven't. Let's say I've been doing this for uh, almost a year and a half, and I've flown like I don't know, like over a hundred flights, uh, and I haven't damaged it yet. But, you know, I've, I've taken care not to. I, I land in, you know, grass fields and stuff. I don't, I'm not out there landing in the sticks. Wide open spaces. Wide open spaces are your friend. Ruined yeah. to make a big mistake. Yeah. No, that makes sense. 
Um, okay, so and so did you get your gear and then go down there, or like how did you do that? So these guys are trainers as well as equipment dealers. So I gotcha. bought, I ordered my material through them a couple months before I showed up to school. Um, that's right. We kind of got off the train of, uh, how the training goes. Right. So I was, I was saying, uh, so we got down there, they already had a bunch of gear, you know, that, that they use for training the students. So if I, you know, beef it, I don't have to mess up the stuff that I just spent, (laughs) you know, 12 grand on. Yeah. Yeah. So I get to beat up their equipment. Um, so yeah, so I get down there and the first few days are getting familiar with their equipment and kiting and kiting is uh clipping in with clipping the wing into just a harness with no motor attached or anything it's a whole separate deal and basically trying to control the wing and keep it over your head um in the wind so when i got there it was freaking rough I, i think i just chose a bad time and the weather was just not in my favor but what to do you know you sign up for a slot and it's two months out you can't predict what the wind's gonna be like so when i got there it was insanely windy so they had us practicing on these little tiny 14 square meter wings and there were four people in my class there was me my friend Vito, who's a couple years younger than me and then two really nice elderly gentlemen and that wind on those even on those little wings i mean it was taking me for a freaking ride like it was all i could do to stay on my feet and uh the (laughs) the instructor wisely you know after after i just got beat up in front of everyone for a while you know he's like hey who wants to go first i was like i'll do it you know i get i get drug all over the field and then uh one of the old guys is like i'm next and he's like no, you're not. <laughs> you guys are not going today. So, uh, so yeah, so our, our first couple of days, you know, the wind, the wind died down, you know, at certain hours and, uh, different days it was better, but, uh, yeah, uh, it was a lot of kiting and kiting is really, um, you know, the most important and also probably the diff- most difficult part in the sport. So why, why is kiting important? Because you have to kite to, to launch, which is undoubtedly the most difficult part of paramotor. Hmm. Okay. And so, so that was, so, so you were there for how long? Like how long? Was 10 it? days. 10 days. And how many days were, were mostly just like kiting? Well, it was the course curriculum says like four to five. I'm sure they, you know, they tweak it depending if you've got a class full of studs and they like, you know, they've all mastered kiting, but like the second day, they're probably not going to be like, Hey guys, sorry, keep at it. Um, but basically it's supposed to be like first half of the class kiting, second half flying. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't remember if they took us, if it was on the, like the very first day that we went for a tandem flight or if it was after kiting and you know like on the first day we were supposed to fly that we went for a tandem flight but before we actually got to launch on our own uh the instructor took us for a tandem the way that the tandem works is it's basically the it's the exact same setup same motor it's a bigger wing i think that he was using a 24 square meter wing when like right now like flying by myself i fly on a 21 so it's notably bigger and uh you have this thing called a spreader bar it's basically another harness 
that's just like hanging from poles that kind of mounts like at your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't have the spreader bar. I'm not exactly sure where they mount, <laughs> gotcha. but uh, yeah, the hang point I think is, is generally a little bit higher, hmm. but kind of just, would that be to like keep the, I don't know, I guess the extra size of the wing from like caving in on itself or something like this. Does that like keep the wing like more spread, I guess? Is that just its purpose? What's that? The spreader bar? Yeah. Oh, the, the spreader bar is to hold the other passenger. Oh yeah. Gotcha, no, it gotcha. has nothing to do with the wing. It's, it's about having the passenger, you know, hanging from the same motor you're on. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sense. glad you clarified. Yeah, no, I yeah, I was I wasn't sure, but that that makes sense. Okay, so you guys went up and, and did that and got the experience of like what it's like before you got to be in control, right? Because you know you can, you know you can watch all the videos and stuff you want, and that you know by the time I did my first tandem flight, you know I'd probably watched you know dozens and dozens of hours of YouTube videos, but it doesn't prepare you for all the the little subtle bumps and and whatnot that are up there in the air and like yeah that first flight even though like you know in retrospect now that i've been flying a while i'm like yeah that was like a very like you know very vanilla you know obviously he's not trying to freak me out of there he's not like all right you're ready to see the max of my abilities <laughs> you know yeah. he's up there he's like all right now we're gonna go a little bit to the right and a little bit to the left you know and we uh let's see what do we do then he, he handed me the toggles the brake toggles are how you how you steer the thing and uh, he held on to the throttle and uh you know he was like all right we'll go ahead and we're gonna do a little right spiral left spiral oh that's cool so yeah so he actually let me let me do the driving that's, that's pretty, pretty cool, cool. Yeah. yeah so you can kind of get a feel for it without having to bring in the variable of controlling the power as well and everything like that hey, right which yeah. is that i mean does it get a little spicy up there sometimes when you're trying to like adjust all of that like at the same time you're trying to like Count for wind, and you gotta slow down or speed up, and you gotta like control the wing in a certain way or anything. Um, I mean, it's there is input that you have to do, but honestly, it, flying is the easiest part of paramotoring. Like the controls are very intuitive. Like pretty much your your controls are you've got your throttle, which increases how fast your prop spins, but that doesn't affect at all how fast you go. All of your, all that the throttle does is give you lift and let off. Gotcha. Um, all your speed is, uh, you change your speed by adjusting what's called the trim of your wing. So you basically, uh, I wish everyone listening could, could see my hands. It'll make it a lot easier to understand. But basically, the pitch of your wing is what adjusts your speed. So um, the the closer to horizontal that your wing is, the faster that you're going to go. Hmm. Um, so like your typical, like your neutral wing position is if you're holding your hand out, it's canted at like maybe like a 10 o'clock um, is like the, the pitch of your wing. And you can pull in your trims and that will basically uh, shorten the front string of your wing so on mine i've got like four strings that are going from the front of the wing then you know obviously string number two is maybe a quarter of the way from the front three is halfway four is a quarter from the back and then the last one is right on the back and that's your brake lines 
Mm. Um, so basically, it lengthens and shortens those strings, which changes the pitch of your wing, makes you go faster. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like, you really don't have to hit the throttle very hard if you're like up, you know, at the height that you want to be cruising at. The only time you really got to hammer down is you're like, oh, I'm not gonna make it over that tree. But but oh, if geez. if you're if you're flying high enough, you know. Really, you, you just hold it hold it steady and it's not really a concern yeah okay well okay so after after you got to try the tandem thing and then like what did the transition into you going up on your own what did that look like um so we would do some like mock launches mm-hmm. um so basically we would have like the motor on our back the wing laid out behind us um well, I'll say that there's there's two ways to launch depending on the wind. If it's low wind, you'll do what they call a forward launch, and it's like I just described. You've got your motor on your back, and you lay your wing out behind you, and when you run, it lifts the wing up above you, and then you just hit the gas and go. That's, in, in my mind, like, and when I was at training, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the easy one. Um, and most of the time when you're flying a paramotor, it's just, it's way, way more enjoyable if you fly with like little to no wind, or if you do fly with wind, if it's nice, smooth wind. Hmm. Um, and so like, in fact, since I've been flying, I have never done a rear launch, which is the second kind of launch. And that one is done when there's a, a moderate amount of wind, like I don't know, like above five to 10, something like that. Anything above 10, you probably just don't want to fly. Um, anything below five, you're going to do a forward launch. So a reverse launch, you start out with same thing. Your wing laid out the same as a forward launch motor on your back. But instead of facing forward with your wing at your back, you start out facing your wing and uh, you back up backwards. The wing inflates and rises above your head. And then uh, the wind is strong enough that you don't really need to move because the wind will hold it up for you. Unlike mm-hmm. in a forward launch, you've got to run to keep it up or else the wing will just fall. Um, and all your controls are reversed. So you've got to stabilize it once you're like, okay, my wing's good and stable. Then you just flip a 180 standing where you are, hammer down, and then you launch. Hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, when we were training for our first individual solo flight, uh, we basically got to that point where we were ready to hammer down and go, and then we just drew, let the wing fall. Oh, okay. So we basically took it just up to the point of launching, and then stop. Okay, because I imagine making sure that all your form is in place probably has a big factor in like whether you're going to encounter chaos when you start like getting up there or anything. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like once... As long as you can get off the ground, you're probably good. Unless if you have like a really crazy launch, like like maybe somehow you managed to get off the ground, even though your wing wasn't like nice and just upright above you. Like maybe it was kind of like canted to a direction. Once your feet get off the ground, you might start to kind of oscillate like a pendulum mm-hmm. and that could potentially lead to problems. But that would be pretty hard to do because sometimes even getting off the ground, uh, if the wing is above you can be kind of tough, especially when you're just starting out. Like I think a lot of people, um, even people who have been flying for a little while will occasionally botch a launch. I botched one yesterday. Oh really? Yeah. And that, that sounds catastrophic, but 
it's not. It, basically, what happened, well, what happened to me yesterday is I was trying to launch out of a field that had, uh, hadn't been mowed for a little while, so there were like weeds and stuff up. And when I launched, uh, one of my lines was wrapped around the head of like I don't know a dandelion or something. Dang. And uh, so basically, like when I went to run forward. Uh, one of my lines had like slack in it. And then when like the dandelion head popped off, like that side of my wing had basically like already kind of started to collapse. And uh, I just wasn't able to recover it in time. Um, So, and yeah, so it's just like, I'm running and then like, I could just feel that like, you know, my, my left side was like sagging when I'm holding onto my brake toggles. And I just like immediately knew I was like, yep, something's jacked up. So I just killed my motor, let the wing fall, just reset. and then just took a big sigh. All right, I got to take off my paramotor, undo all you know four of my buckles, go lay my wing out nice again, get my lines all straight, throw it back on my back, fire it back up, clip my wing into myself, get ready, try it again. You know, it's like yeah. when you mess up like that, it's like, well, that's gonna take me another five minutes to set it up, and it's yeah. a pain in the butt, especially like. Half the time when I'm flying, if it's not like, if it's not like above 80, I'm like, all right, well, I better at least throw on like a sweatshirt. Cause when you're up there, it's like notably cooler. Um, and it's like, you're, there's constant wind blowing on you, obviously, cause you're moving around. So like, I'm normally got like, I'm dressed warmer than I ought to be for on the ground. So like, oh. I'm like sweating my balls off cause I just ran, you know, a hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Now I, and I've got, you know, these things aren't light, like with a full tank of this, let's see, it's like, I think the motor is 69 pounds with, without any fuel. And I normally launch with like, I don't know, like 10 liters. So like add another like 15 pounds, you know? So this thing's like 80 pounds or so. And you just ran a hundred feet with it on your back, wearing a sweatshirt or whatever. Yeah. So, so you yeah. could be like pretty sweaty by the time. Oh uh, yeah. Like I'm yeah, always like, look, I'm like, boy, I can't wait to get in the air and let the wind dry the sweat off my neck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, all right. So then what did uh, the first few like training flights like look like once after you guys moved on past the, uh, those like kind of uh, just practice getting the. Uh, they were like real simple. So the, um, the school that I went to, we launched from, uh, like an old airfield that like, I don't, I don't think that like, well, someone must've launched from there, I guess. But like, uh, it's called the Samoa airfield, um, out by Eureka. And there was a hangar there that the school was out of, but like, I never saw anybody else there. Like I never saw anybody launch from there in the 10 days that, that we were there. Uh, but yeah, so, and that's like, like pretty much right on the beach, like, you know, less than a couple hundred feet from the beach. So, uh, we actually did all of our launches from the beach. Um, so running through the sands, always fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, once I got up in the air, um, I had a radio, um, in my headset and the instructor was telling me like, all right, you know, go ahead and, and, you know, climb up to like 400 feet and, you know, you're like, am I at 400 feet yet? Like I have no, you know, it's hard to reference how high you are from the ground. You know, once you get past a couple hundred feet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we got up there and, uh, again, the whole time that I was down there for training, it was quite windy. You know, we were like near the, the upper levels of acceptable wind for paramotor. Gotcha. So it, it was a bit bumpy and, 
uh, flying into the wind. I think I was probably, my ground speed was probably like three miles an hour. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, the, the wind was coming off the coast. And so like, uh, so the way that the wind speed affects you is, you know, you've got uh, your speed, like if in a no wind scenario, cruising around on, on the wing that I was on, uh, my first flight was like, it was like a, called a GBD magic was the name of the wing. And I think it was like a 24, 26 square meter. So like the bigger the wing, basically like the slower, less fun it is to fly, but the safer. Yeah. So they started us out on those. And so like, it's, you know, I don't know, it's cruising around speed at like neutral trim level was probably like 20 miles an hour. Hmm. And so like facing into the wind, you subtract the wind speed from that 20 miles an hour. So like if it was a 16 mile an hour wind and I go 20, my ground speed is four. Okay. So like, you know, it's like walking. I can look down and like watch somebody walk past me. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm just like, ah, this kind of sucks. But on the, on the flip side of that coin, if I pull the brake, do a 180, that gets added on. So like, instead of doing four this way, now I'm doing, uh, you know, 36 miles an hour the other way. So, but yeah, so most of it was, uh, you know, kind of slow going, just getting a feel for it, but. Um, it did die down a little bit later and, you know, towards the end of the, the classes when, uh, it was just like, all right, like, you know, Breton, you've done, you know, like, I don't know, 15 flights or whatever. Now, uh, you can be up in the air kind of doing your thing while I help, you know, Vito get in the air. And then he's talking to, you know, we're all on the same channel so I can hear everything, you know, that he's telling Vito. Um, and then he let me kind of just cruise up and down the beach so that was that was pretty sweet, especially like going downwind, like low to the beach. So fun. So and didn't you say like count flights or like rack up flights? They would like have you take off, do like a lap, and then come down, touch down. Like that's one flight, and then go back. Yeah. Up. So um, the school. So there is a curriculum. Well, okay, so we said that you don't need any sort of licensing, certification, training that is not required, and that is true. That doesn't mean that there's not certifications and training out there. Um, so there's an organization called, uh, oh, shit, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it wrong, I should say. It. I think it's USPPA. It's like US Powered Paragliding Association. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um Yeah, there it was. I just saw it pop up. Yeah, US PPA, was I right? Yeah, United States Powered Paragliding Association. Yeah, yep, that's the one. So these guys have a curriculum and there's like uh levels and PPG two is kind of like their um level that says, you know, you're you've been trained enough that it's safe for you to fly on your own. So uh, to get PPG two, you're supposed to have 25 flights. So it's the school's goal to make sure you have those 25 flights. So they're uh, basically trying to like get you through them. You know, I won't, I don't want to say as quick as you can, but you know, like when, especially us where like, we only really had by the time the wind kind of died down, oh, like yeah. we only had like two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we were pretty much like launching, doing a loop around the beach, come back, land where we launched, and yeah, like I, we wouldn't even like 
drop the wing like we'd land we'd run for you know 10 feet and then we'd hammer down and launch again you know we were just doing laps Boom. really that's a flight yeah so <laughs> exactly and it was just like you know get in as many as you can and you know like that's not bad practice yeah like that that's good practice in fact because la- launching and landing are the hardest parts like i i, don't, I love flying i hate launching and landing mm-hmm. like unless every now and then goes real smooth for me and i'm like you know that wasn't so bad but like launches uh launching i don't mind as much as landing landing i always feel like every time i land i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this in 20 years because like maybe with a with a different wing maybe launching from a different spot i pretty much launch from the same spot like you know 90 percent of my flights and the wind is pretty consistently coming from one direction and it's easy to launch from that direction uh so you want to launch and land into the wind uh so launching into the wind easy it's pretty much impossible to land into the wind. So I almost always land kind of crosswind. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you land into the wind, it helps slow you down. Gotcha. So it makes for a smoother landing. And I almost always land sprinting. <laughs> like I land, I'm immediately like beating feet as hard as I can to not just like beef it. Yeah. Uh, and is there like a big concern? I, I mean, like, can. I guess, like, how bad could, like, a landing get? Like, did you see any, like, r- really rough lands when you were training? Um, I think that I did see a, a butt landing. I, I'm trying to remember. Um, Those two older guys um, who were in the class, really cool guys, but they were kind of they were kind of struggling. Because, one, uh, like I said, these things are pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, two, we were out at the beach. I mean, anyone who's ran in sand knows that it can be freaking tough. Um, so, uh, I know I did see a, a butt landing. So like he like landed on his feet and then, you know, whatever happened, he tripped over himself and he kind of just like fell on his butt. So like nothing catastrophic, no equipment was, was damaged or anything like that. Um, the only thing that was really hurt was, uh, pride. Ah. Um, and, uh, I also saw, uh, a comical launch fail where it was kind of the same thing, except rather than a butt landing, uh, he like fell forward and, uh, like landed on his stomach with that motor on his back. And he was able to, uh, kill the engine. Like as he, I guess, I don't know, as he felt he was falling or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he fell and his wing like fell down on top of him. So he's like buried under all this fabric and string. And I guess what, what what made it funny for for me was uh that he didn't even try and get up until, <laughs> until until you know everyone ran over to make sure he was all right but like you know he's like 150 feet away so like it took us a second to get there and like he just laid there like huh. <sighs> defeated. <laughs> feeling defeated yeah and how how much did you say that they they weigh again uh so without fuel 69 pounds okay so yeah. So they're not they're not super light. Yeah, it's a little bit of a. You can't just go up there and be like super out of out of shape or you know not be able no, to haul you, a haul a pack of some kind. You know. Yeah, it would definitely uh, be helpful to show up, you know, in good shape. 
relatively able to carry a little bit. Yeah, of I mean, you don't have to be like a you know a total stud, but like yeah. if you, you know, yeah. But I'm guessing once you add fuel, that's like probably like what seventy. 70 some pounds. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly the weight of fuel. I know a gallon of water is eight pounds per. I don't know the density of fuel to water, but I imagine it's something kind of close to that. And it's yeah. a, it's like a 12 liter tank. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somewhere between like 15 and 20 pounds extra, probably. Okay. Wow. Jeez. So it's, it's, it's a little bit weighty. Like that's not nothing. Yeah. It's not nothing. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, I guess, is there anything like, with everything that you've kind of described, does that pretty much kind of wrap up the training or was there any other aspects of it you guys um, into? For like the hands-on training, I would say that, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. Um, there was, there was more training, you know, we talk about, um, maintenance, how to maintain your motor. Um, uh, we talk about, uh, like wing behavior. We talk about the, uh, the legality of, uh, flying, uh, that's, paramotors. That's actually yeah. That's one question that I had was around like zones and stuff because I'm sure you can't just fly wherever you want. No. Yeah. So, um, so even though there's no certification, there are still some rules. But uh, for you know, in the world of aviation, they are pretty loose. You know, like we can get away <laughs> with all way more than uh, you know just about anybody else. Um, like the one big one and the in my opinion the best part is we can fly low like it's legal for me to fly dragging my foot across the ground wow. while uh you know like a cessna or whatever i'm pretty sure they have to maintain like 500 feet is like their floor you know gotcha. which is like still pretty high and like i love flying low when i'm flying around like i fly low every chance I can get. The only time I'm above the trees is when I'm trying to get from one clear cut to another, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but yeah, there's also rules on, uh, where we can fly. So we, uh, fall under FAR part one Oh three. That's uh federal airspace regulations, I think part one Oh three. And there's like a pretty short list of rules that, uh, that part of the code enforces on us. Uh, so that code applies to ultralight uh, aircraft. And that's uh, actually on the USPPA page. Um, I know that they have a, uh, like a list of FAR uh, stuff on there somewhere, maybe under resources. Resources. Let's see. Yeah. But basically, um, the rules say there's like seven lists, uh, seven rules. I can't remember all off the top of my head, but it's like, uh, you can only fly in class E and class G airspace, which is like, like 95% of airspace in the country falls under one of those two. So, you know, most places, uh, another rule says can't fly over congested area, which again, like I wouldn't want to, you know, like I can't fly over like Portland or whatever oh, okay gotcha. so like i can fly you know like near a neighborhood like i wouldn't fly so uh i fly near a small town uh pretty much every time i fly and i never fly like directly over the suburbs you know you always want to like skirt around the edge of the town okay gotcha you also can't fly over any sort of open gathering so like you can't fly over a concert you can't drop anything off of your paramotor again why would you want to yeah um 
you you don't have the right of way in any situation. Basically, if you see anything else in the sky, you have to avoid it. Like it's your duty. Hmm. Um, and also you would want to because uh, in a crash with anything else, you're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't fly at night. Does that apply to wildlife? Like if you see like a pelican or something or... Uh... Um. Can you, you know, <laughs> I, I would, I would avoid that. I don't know if the, that's in the regs, but it's probably a good choice. Going head to head with a seagull or something like that. A seagull probably wouldn't be that bad, but like a, any of them would be bad if they got in your propeller. That's true. Not that's because true. it would like destroy. Well, I don't know. It might. So like, like most of the blades are made out of carbon fiber and oh. like they're pretty fragile, like, a, you know, and they spin really fast. Like. Uh, these things idle speed is like fifty six hundred, okay, or yeah. more. Like I that's feel, yeah. So I feel like if you yeah, if you hit like a like a seagull or something, if it could, I bet like even a seagull like it would it'd probably break it would probably some. blow up your props and yeah. like the shrapnel from your prop would probably blow up like for like probably blow up your cage or you know damage a fuel line you know like yeah basically hitting a prop very bad (laughs) (laughs) okay so so um avoiding avoiding other flying you know things aside from that is there any other uh you can't fly at night if you have uh if you get a strobe there's a stipulation that you can fly a half hour before sunrise or a half hour after sunset okay um let's see are there any other really relevant ones i don't think so i think that's that's like mostly it. Hmm. Oh, here Kyle's found the PDF that I was talking about. So operating rules. So hazardous operations. No person may operate ultralight vehicle in a manner that creates a hazard to other people or property. Yeah, that's sensible. You know, most of these things are like common sense uh, type rules. Uh, daylight operations, like I just said, fly when it's light out. Operation and right of way rules. Uh, you don't ever have the right of way. Uh, operations over congested areas. Don't do it. Operations over certain airspace, like I said, class A, B, C, D, all off limits. Um, operations in prohibited or restricted areas um, can't fly over uh, certain places. Uh, or if there's like a crap, what do they call it? No, I'm spacing it right now, but basically, like around the president, there's like a 25 mile radius oh, no fly zone gotcha. I'm, I'm spacing what the what the acronym is i'm guessing you can't just go sit down on top of the pentagon or something like that yeah that's that's probably <laughs> not allowed if i had to guess <laughs> um yeah oh there's a visual reference with the surface you can't fly through uh fog or through clouds and stuff like that oh really yeah huh. and uh i mean it makes sense yeah it makes yeah. sense because you know you could be like flying like oh i'm gonna fly down and find the ground and then like all of a sudden a tree looms out of the fog you know 20 feet in front of you and you're like oh i'm dead yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah it says here like um you have to stay 500 feet below a thousand feet above uh, or a thousand feet above and you have to stay more than two thousand feet horizontal um so like that's the um yeah for different air spaces so wow yeah, that's really not a huge extensive list. No, like, yeah, you can you can get away with quite a bit. Um, right. There is another that's not actually under FAR, but it's like uh, 
I'm not sure if they can actually take legal power against you, but it's like very frowned upon. It's like flying over some uh, like uh, wildlife preserve type oh. sites and stuff, which again, like and everyone in the paramotor community is like really on board with like, look, like we are really lucky that we don't have very many regulations imposed on us. Like let's not do anything to piss the people off, mm-hmm. you know? So like, like most people are really good about trying to follow you know the rules that they put forth yeah and like i think for like that wildlife one it's like you have to stay two thousand feet above any sort of uh you know like national park or something like that yeah and also you know it's just respectful and i guess another thing i we haven't addressed about paramotors is they're freaking loud like really loud much louder than like you know if i were standing right next to you hammering down on my throttle uh, it's like much louder than a lawnmower, or weed eater, mm-hmm. anything like that. So, you know, if you're, you know, out enjoying Yellowstone, you know, you don't want some jack wagon cruising by like, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so when you go up, um, I guess before you take off or even while you're up there, like what are like some hazards and concerns that you take into account or like what are you because i'm sure you're always kind of on the lookout for certain things like what are some of those things yeah so uh before i launch every time i do a quick inspection make sure like all my every nut and bolt is tight i always check my fuel line make sure there's not like been any like rubbing or something where like i could you know we could wear through the hose as i'm going make sure that uh my reserve chute is uh like still properly packed the reserve handle is where it's supposed to be that kind of stuff um and then as far as in the air like constantly got to have your head on a swivel make sure that there's no other aircraft out there because like we said you don't have the right of way and then the other really big one is uh power lines oh, and yeah. that's like that's like my biggest fear in paramotor. I think since I started flying, probably once a month, I've had a dream where that I crashed my paramotor into power lines. And uh, yeah, if uh, you've got a morbid curiosity, there's lots of videos online of that happening. Yeah, I just I just saw one yesterday, and uh, yeah, it's like, well, well, that was that one was probably that guy's last flight. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's it's scary, but. Um, I guess being a, an electrician as well, you have a, a healthy respect for electricity and what it can do to you too. I mean, I think anyone out there with common sense. I was, I was going like, to say, it's like, you know, I do, but you know, I it's probably on par with most people's respect for power lines. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's probably not that much more. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's probably a big concern. Actually, another really big one is uh, flying over water. Oh. I've, I've heard that that is the number one cause of death in the sport hmm. is people flying over water because you're clipped in. Like I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure if every single paramotor uh, harness configuration is pretty much the same. The one that I fly, I've got one across my waist, across my chest and one across each leg. So, you know, in the event that you do crash into the water, especially if it's like fast moving water or something, one, you're clipped into this 80 pound machine Two, you have this sail that is now in the water and it's probably going to be dragging you downstream, bouncing your head off rocks and who knows what else. And, uh, you know, how well are you going to be able to unclip four buckles while you're getting pulverized underwater, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've heard that that's the biggest cause of death. Uh, I guess I should mention that 
biggest cause of injury is ground starting your paramotor. That is, so it, you start your paramotor um, like you do a lawnmower. There's like a rip cord, right? And it's like over your shoulder. Um, and when your motor's not warmed up, um, just like with your lawnmower or whatever, you know, sometimes it can take a couple pulls and it can be kind of hard. So it's a lot easier to start it from the ground. Um, and the thing that a lot of people do is they will start it from the ground and they'll hold the throttle in their hand. And like, as they're yanking the cord, uh, maybe give a little bit of gas to help, you know, fire it up. Well, some people will do that. And, uh, the prop has enough thrust that, well, it's just your paramotor sitting on the ground. It'll kind of rock forward hmm. and whoever's, you know, starting it panics and clenches up and then they just go full throttle and are trying to catch their paramotor with this propeller that's spinning at, you know, 6,500 RPM and chop their fingers off or, you know, yeah. yeah so that's kind of a, a common one, unfortunately. So it's like, you know, hammered into everyone's head at school, never ground start your paramotor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those are, I think those are probably the, the biggest, uh, threats or concerns. Well, let me say one more is, uh, getting, getting overconfident and trying to do stuff that you're not quite ready for, you know, like it is, it is tempting and like there are th- to try a maneuver that, you know, you've been watching on YouTube for a couple of years or whatever. You're like, oh yeah, I can do, I can do a, a wing over. And a wing over is basically like, uh, you, you'll start swaying, like oscillating under your wing to build up a little bit of momentum and basically like turning hard enough that your body kind of gets over your wing, maybe not over your wing, but at least like horizontal to your wing as you like spiral down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're trying to do a maneuver like that, and that's not like a crazy advanced one, like that's pretty easy to do, but, um, you know, if you mess it up or you do it too, too low to the ground, obviously, you know, problems can occur. So, so basically for those that, so I was able to see like what your hand movements were, but so it's kind of like you're going into a barrel roll. Like it's kind of like you're you're like you're yeah, about it's kind, to get inverted. It's whatever. it's kind of like a halfway barrel roll. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like imagine you're about to do a barrel roll, and then you like chicken out halfway. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, because yeah, I keep forgetting you guys can't see my hand because I'm talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and so basically, like what could happen is like somebody. Like basically like the, um, like the shoot will implode and like they can, like, is that kind of the risk of it? Like how it can, well, I wouldn't say implode, but like in school, they always said like, Hey, don't get your body above your wing because when you're swinging like that, your the lines that connect you oh, to yeah. your parachute are going to be taut because you've got centrifugal force pulling on you. Right. Mm-hmm. But so if you tried doing a maneuver like that and you didn't have enough, momentum enough energy in your swing and your lines go slack and you're above your wing you can fall okay, directly yeah. into your wing and that's probably what you're that's referencing what I was so to get yeah they, yeah so they call that gift wrapping yourself because your your wing wraps around you and like that's that's probably one of the worst scenarios that you can be in because you're wrapped up in all this fabric all these lines i mean it's in just, the air in like, the in the air plummeting towards the ground 
Yeah. So like in that situation, like pretty much your your only hope is to be able to get your reserve out, and that's not even a a guarantee because uh, you know it's not like a an ejection seat. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've got to basically rip this bag out and chuck it out of this mess of lines and fabric that are flapping around you as you're spinning and falling towards the ground. Yikes. But again, you know, like like we said at the start of the podcast, you know, it's safe if you don't put yourself in that situation, yeah. you know. So you kind of got to I mean that's um I think something in like the motorcycling community, like when you're riding with other people too is like got to caution everyone like hey, or like ride within your means, you know, like ride with ride don't ride beyond your skill level despite yeah. what everyone else might be doing or whatever like don't, you know. <laughs> don't risk yourself like don't push yourself further than you can and i imagine that's kind of what it is is like don't try something like that before like you know or i mean i guess is there a way where you can try stuff like that and make it safe like when you're flying just try it at a lower altitude or like no if you're gonna the opposite if you're gonna try something try it at the highest altitude you can Um. because the higher the altitude, if you gift wrap yourself, instead of having, for example, if you oh, yeah. gift wrap yourself at 200 feet, you might have, you know, uh, I don't know, five seconds before you hit the ground. If you do it at 10,000 feet, you might have like two minutes. So, and if you gift wrap yourself, you're not falling at like, you know, the, the speed that a rock would fall when you dropped it. Because you've got all that surface area, like your wing is not inflated, obviously, but it's mm. still gonna slow you down. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. But yeah, no. So you want to do it at, at the highest altitude you can. Um, you want to get trained. So, like, I went through just the you know the basic PPG two course. There are advanced courses, and there's a course called SIV, which it's it stands for something in French. I want to say it's like it's like sounds like situation in vol or something like that. Basically, it's all SIV is about is like teaching you how to recover uh, when you do fuck up. So like you go there and you're intentionally like forcing your wing to collapse and learning how to redo it, how to like, you know, reinflate it, what sort of input you need to put on the wing to, you know, get it to fix itself. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, like there's one at uh, it's called Lake Berryessa. That's in California. That's the one that, uh, was recommended to me by my instructor and someday I plan to go. Uh, but uh, so they'll take you out on a tow line on a boat over this big old lake so that if you do fall, you just land in water. That's cool. So, That's and they've nice. got, they've got a, a good track record. I think they said that nobody has ever died at that class. Wow. And a lot of F- SIV courses around the country can't say that. Dang. Yeah. But that's like, if you're like, I would say like, you know, like one in a hundred paramotor guys is like serious enough about, you know, doing uh, acro that he's going to think that that's necessary for him to go to. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, it's a good idea if you ever want to do like, I'm itching to do a barrel roll. I want to so bad. Oh, like geez. every, every time I do like a wing over, I'm like, I could probably do it, but oh, <laughs> I'm like, but what if I kill myself? I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd be pretty mad about that. So maybe I should, maybe I should wait and try that out over Lake Berryessa. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine like the, just how infuriated you would be with yourself while you're like, you know, like scared and infuriated while you're plummeting. Nope. I can't imagine that. I cannot imagine. <laughs> 
No, that that sounds like a good training course to go through. I I was curious about like weather, like the like variables of weather. Is there like a um, a point where you know if certain parts of, like kinds of weather come in where you're like, all right, I gotta go land or oh, I got, I'm not even gonna go up. Like, imagine you don't like. Do you ever fly in the rain or just avoid that altogether? Yeah, very much so. Weather plays a big part. Um, so I would say that weather is probably like this is probably like anyone who's listening to this so far and was like, this sounds pretty cool. Like, I think I might like to get into this. Sorry. I'm probably about to take some of the wind out of your sails. Same thing happened to me. (laughs) Hey, uh, so it is very much weather dependent, like high wind. No raining. No. Um, so like the rain will make your wings super heavy. One, if you try and launch in the rain and like you've got your wing laid out for a minute while you're putting on your stuff and it's heavy and wet, it's just going to be really freaking hard to launch. Two, you're not going to want to fly around in the rain because it's going to be smacking you in the face and stuff. And it's going to make your wing a lot more prone to collapse and accident. Um, and the wind, uh, you want, for me personally, I like zero wind when I fly because it just lets you, uh, you know, you can just whip around, like, you know, do hard banks and stuff uh, way easier. It just makes for a super smooth flight. Uh, but a little bit of wind can also help you uh, launch and make your landings softer as well. So they say, like, like probably when you're beginning, like, if it's wind higher than 10 miles an hour, you're probably just like, yeah, don't do it. Like, and that's like gusting winds 10 mile an hour. Um, if you're down at like the coast or in like a really flat area, um, you can probably get away with a little bit higher, maybe up to like 15 because your wind's going to be nice and smooth. Um, up here where I normally fly is right on the foothills of the Cascades. And so like I'm flying in the mountains like every time. So my wind is never smooth, hardly. And if, if there is wind, it's choppy. So it makes it bumpy, it makes flying low to the ground kind of sketchy because, um, you know, you'll be flying along. All of a sudden, it'll feel like you're, like, going over potholes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, wind plays a huge part. Um, the wind is generally more calm in the mornings and the evenings. And in the middle of the day, it, gets, it can get pretty raucous, even on a day where it's, like, um, like, I, when I first started flying, like, like last summer, um, I, I looked at the forecast and I was like, Hey, winds are pretty low. And it's like, you know, it's like two o'clock. I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. And even though the wind was like almost non-existent, just like the thermals coming off of, uh, you know, the ground, it just made it so unpleasant. Like, I think I flew like 15 minutes away from my, uh, my launch area. And I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> I'm going back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's just how it is. You know, I've, I've had several flights where I thought that, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, the wind's going to die down a little bit or, you know, like, yeah, it's a little, little higher than I'd like, but I'll just deal with it. And truth is flying, flying in real windy, gusty conditions. It's just not that fun. Yeah. I imagine it just adds stress to the flight. That it just takes yeah, out the, enjoyment. in the beginning, most definitely like like that that midday flight that i just talked about like i was a little bit sketched out i was like okay this is pretty dicey but now that i've been flying for a while like 
I, it's been a long time since I had a bump that made me pucker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so now it's just kind of like, well, this just isn't fun because I just can't fly that fast. I can't, like I said earlier, I like flying really low to stuff. I like weaving between, you know, hay bales or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just you just can't do it when it's gusty because, you know, you're flying low and all of a sudden you drop like, you know, three feet. And if you're four feet off the ground, that's scary. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know? So, yeah. Um, I was curious. So, as well, okay, first, when you when you do fly, like, what all are you wearing? Like, do you wear usually, like, like gloves do you make sure to wear like wool socks like what, what uh, kinds of layers we got, we it, got it depends heck? on the weather like like if it's real warm i'll just wear like shorts and a t-shirt like oh, okay. like no no big deal tennis shoes i i generally do try and wear um some like uh, like military boots just to help protect my ankles on my landings mm-hmm. um but yeah if it's hot out like nothing i do wear a helmet and goggles every time a helmet with uh like earmuffs like an absolute essential um i would say that goggles or sunglasses absolute essential or else you're just gonna be crying the whole time not able to see anything i've i've launched before and realized like you know it's like as soon as i launch i realize i'm like i forgot my freaking glasses so i was like dang it i gotta loop around and land immediately and then i gotta reset all my stuff up again i was like just kicking myself um but yeah in the winter i've got like uh bibs actually i i flew this morning and i even though it's nice out today even if it's like you know like 55 60 um once you're flying if you're just in like whatever's comfortable on the ground you're going to be uncomfortable up in the air Mm. so yeah i've got like some bibs that i wear and uh, a jacket over that gotcha okay so i mean stuff that's feasible for anyone to get their hands on oh yeah you don't need anything crazy for sure like the only suggestion i would say is don't wear something with a hood oh yeah yeah i could yeah i could see how that'd be annoying right (laughs) yeah um so how high can you like fly so legally the highest you can fly is eighteen thousand feet i've never done that i would say that like 99.9 percent of paramotor pilots have never done that Mm -hmm. because why would you yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just crazy high like it'll take you a long time to get that high and it'll take you a long time to get down mm-hmm. if i had to guess you know you're gonna you're gonna burn through like you know like 10 liters of fuel getting to that height mm-hmm. um and it's gonna be cold as heck yeah um the highest i've been uh is 11.4 it's pretty nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was high. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, you know, it was it was almost on accident. I was like, I was flying. I was like, there was like kind of sparse clouds, and I was like, I haven't been above the clouds yet. And it was like warm. It was like it was last summer, and it was like you know like eighty five degrees. So I'm just in shorts and a t shirt, and uh, there's some clouds up ahead, and like it's kind of, it's really hard to gauge how high something is. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm just hammering down on the throttle climbing and you know 15 minutes pass and i'm like they are not any closer but i've already spent 15 minutes so i'm just gonna keep going and then you know like the more the more you go like the more you're kind of you're like well now i'm 30 minutes invested can't turn back now (laughs) you know and you know i I don't know how long it took me to get there it took me a while i would i would guess like at least a half hour 
Jeez, how long is any given flight typically? Like, would you guess? From it really, off? it really depends on the pilot and what they want to do. So, like, uh, generally with the Moster 185, that's the engine that's on like the vast majority of paramotor people fly. Um, there's like different frame styles and stuff. Like, I fly a Scout. Um, there's another ones like MacFly, Iris, Kangook. Like, a lot of these things use the Moster 185. Um, so that thing burns like generally somewhere around uh, six liters in an hour. And uh, you're working with a total of how many usually? So the tank have... says to fill it to 12. You can fit like 13 in there. Oh, okay. um, so like at most, I would say you could do like a three hour flight if you're completely topped off and not like hammer in the throttle the whole time. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. If you were to like... I guess uh, if just a guesstimate, I'm sure it's hard to tell, but on average, like if you were to spend that three hour flight time to try and go from one point to another, like how far do you think you might be able to go roughly? Again, I know I, I sound like a broken record, but there's a lot of variables. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so like a different wing will uh, adjust your speed a lot mm-hmm. and also your fuel efficiency. If your wing can maintain your altitude better you don't have to hold the throttle as longer so your fuel lasts longer but um if i had to guess i'd say maybe somewhere in the ballpark of like 100 miles maybe that's pretty if, pretty if you get to like ways. a good if you get to like a good height you've got your trims all the way out your you got speed bar which uh, lets you go a little bit faster than when your trims are all the way out like maybe 100 miles if you don't have the wind you know in your face. If the wind's behind you, you can go a lot further. Yeah. You know, depending on how uh, strong the wind is. That's a pretty good distance, though. I mean. Yeah, it's not bad. But, you know, bear in mind, unless you're bringing, uh, you know, like a measured amount. So, they're, they're two strokes. So, you need to mix your fuel. So, like, if you were going to land at, uh, you know, say an airport somewhere to get more fuel, uh, you'd need to bring a pre-measured amount of oil and then, you know fill up to whatever so a hundred a hundred miles you'd be stranded out there unless you land somewhere with fuel and have oil with you so you know reasonably if you want to do a round trip with a full tank you'd go 50 miles from wherever you went but so but potentially somebody could plan out a route oh yeah people people do that and like do like long yeah they're across state like flights yeah so there's a race that they do every year called uh the icarus and Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know exactly what the route is or if I think they change it, but like it spans like several States hmm. and like these guys fly for like, you know, eight plus hours a day. Um, and yeah, so like obviously they've got to stop and fuel up and these guys normally have, um, like fuel bladders as well. So it's like, it's like a reserve fuel tank. So they're flying longer than three hours in a stint. Gotcha. So Kyle's got it got it pulled up here on the computer. The Icarus Trophy Trophy and Icarus X series are a whole new breed of air race that has taken participants on an epic journey. Okay. So Yeah, and to be be clear, this Icarus thing, like uh one of the big uh probably the biggest YouTube paramotor guys, a guy named Tucker Gott. Um, he did the Icarus race several years ago and won, and uh, 
it did not look fun. <laughs> you know, he just looks all sunburnt and windburnt and, you know, he's sleeping in like, you know, just pretty much wherever he can at like, you know, essentially like a, a truck stop or wherever he can land. Um, but yeah, it, it, they usually do it over like some of the, the desert states, you know, like they start in like, I don't know, like Utah and go to like California or something like that. Okay. Gotcha. No, that sounds cool. I mean, it's cool that they have a race for this, you know, for this specifically. Or yeah, for, it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a niche sport. So, yeah, it is cool that there is something like that for it. Okay, so, I mean, yeah, it's a good jaunt. So, potentially, if somebody was like, you know what? Like, I want to fly to work. Like, I want that to be how I get to work. Like, if they could manage a... So, I, I would say, see, that's, that's like, one of the things that I thought when I was thinking about getting into it. I was like, oh, I could, like, fly this thing, you know? I could, like, this could be my commuter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's just like, no, dude, it's it's so... Un, it's unfeasible because, you know, the weather has to be right. It's not right every day. In fact, it seems like, or at least around here, maybe if you live in, like, California, I'll mm-hmm. bet you probably could fly these things, like, every day. But uh, out here where I am, nah. Um, and you know, you'd need, you don't need a huge space to launch from, but one, you need permission to launch or land there from mm-hmm. whoever owns it. If you don't own it. Uh, and a lot of people, at least, uh, in my limited experience, aren't super keen on letting you fly this loud, noisy thing, uh, first thing in the morning and the evening on their property. Yeah. Plus not to mention liability reasons. Um, and the weather has to align for you. Mm-hmm. And if unless you've got like a field, like if you've got a big open airspace that uh, is generally, you know, lined up nicely with the way that the wind comes from at your house. So you can just carry it out of your garage and go it is a pain in the ass to load up in your car. You got to ratchet it down, you know, drive it, you know, 10 minutes to your launch site, unload it, you know. Yeah. Do whatever. It's just not feasible as a as a commuter, unfortunately. Gotcha. Hmm. Well, I guess if somebody does live in that just perfect area, you know, where they the stars just align weather wise, takeoff wise, landing wise. That would be that would be sweet. I envy that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm um have you seen any uh like interesting like wildlife out on your flights? Yeah, I see stuff all the time. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I've lived in this area for most of my life, and the number of times that I'd seen a herd of wild elk was like I could count on one hand. And I mean, since since then, I probably see an elk like I'd say at least one in ten flights, wow. and it's typically not like one elk it's like oh hey look there's like a whole herd not long ago i saw a herd of a hundred which out here is like unheard of mm-hmm. so that was pretty sweet um i see deer like literally every single time i fly i see uh i see a ton of nutria i see beaver um birds of all freaking kinds yeah i mean pretty i've seen just about anything there is to see out here i've seen yeah that was in fact i was just thinking yesterday i was like I'm surprised that I haven't seen a bear yet because I do a lot of flying over the mountain. And mm-hmm. what prompted me, I, I saw these boxes out there, like just on like the edge of a clear cut. And it's like way up on the mountain where like nobody goes. And I was like, 
what are those? They look like beehives. And I got close and yeah, they were. I was, hmm. I thought that was kind of strange. And I was, that got me thinking, I was like, I wonder if bears ever get in these things. Why yeah. haven't I seen a bear yet? I fly over the mountain all the time. Yeah. I was kind of, I'm, I'm sure at some point you'll see one. And I'm sure too. Check that off the list. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that'll finish my bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> have, um, have you had any particularly like sketchy moments? Like why? Like, is there anything that stands out that was like that sucked or like that yeah. really made me pucker? Yeah, I had I had one. It was like really early. Like it it couldn't have been. It was like within my first ten flights alone at home, um, and uh, from the get go, I've I've been dangerously comfortable on these things. So like, I don't mind like like swinging back and forth really low. And uh, I was flying over. Um, this old Christmas tree field is like, I don't, I don't think they, I can't remember. They either had like, they had like a bunch of like little dead Christmas trees in there, but I'm talking like foot high. So it was practically an empty field. And, uh, I was like banking left and then banking right. So like, I'm kind of like swinging down low. And I like doing that cause like you go really fast on like that, that on the swing. downswing on the downswing. Yeah. You go really fast. So, uh, yeah, I was going and on one of them, I just, went a little too hard a little too low and i could tell like as soon as i started going and i actually i have it on video i had a gopro on my helmet you can't really obviously see like me connect with the ground but i I basically bounced off the ground like i didn't crash uh but like i bounced off the ground i could tell i hit hard and i like you know panic gunned it you know climbed up and i was like whoo okay well that was kind of sketchy and it wasn't until i i landed that i realized that i uh I cracked part of my, there's like a hoop that goes around the fan, the blade. And I took a big crack out of that. And I also, uh, there's a net that attaches to the hoop and just helps protect, um, anything from flying into the prop. Um, in that net, I'd ripped out a whole Christmas tree (laughs) and it was like, it was like stuck in my net and I was like, (laughs) Oh man. It's like, I actually, I still, I haven't uh, replaced that part because it's not really essential to flight. So I bought like a carbon fiber patch kit and like I patched the part of the hoop that I jacked up and the, uh, the net is like permanent, like permanently, like all like stretched out and ugly. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yeah, I'm actually, I'm still, I'm still rocking that someday. I might replace it, but I'm like, "Eh, whatever. I can still fly fine with it. She's just not as, as pretty as she once was. Carbon fiber isn't cheap. No, it's not. I've, I've actually, I've, I've had to replace uh, my very bottom hoop this one pisses me off it wasn't my fault well I, I guess it was but it didn't occur while flying I, I ratcheted it down a little bit too tight on my carrier and then I went over like a speed bump and uh, oh. that cracked my bottom freaking hoop and like so on the scout the hoop piece I think there's like like five or six um, segments to replace the one segment was like 150 bucks dang yeah um, but yeah, let's see. Were there any other times that were kind of sketchy? Not really. I mean, I've been, uh, pretty mindful about safety when I've been flying. Nothing that was real sketchy. Probably the runner up was kind of recently. I know I say you're not supposed to fly over water, but I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was, I was uh, recently flying over, uh, a river real low as I like to do. And, uh, I, I will also clarify that 
this river is the Malala river is pretty shallow, especially mm. this time of year. And the current's not crazy. So if I did crash, um, I could probably stand up in most places that I would land. And I also undo all straps, but just one on my leg. So that way I only have to undo one strap instead mm. of four were I to crash. Anyway, um, I was flying kind of low to the water and I thought I'm holding on to my brake toggles. And I thought I'm just going to crap. What was I doing? Oh no. You know what I was going to do is I was flying low and I, I forgot. I was like, Oh, I need to unbuckle all but one of my clips. So I hung up one of my brake toggles and I reached down to do it. And as I was reaching down for it, I just hit a pocket of bumpy air and to like stabilize, you got to have, hands on both toggles you can't very well stabilize yourself with just the one and so i hit it and i'm real close to the ground and i'm on like a pretty you know like the river has trees on both sides and it's not a huge river like i probably had like i don't know 20 feet on each side of my wingtip mm-hmm. and so like i just to get squirrely like that and not have your hand on the wheel and like yeah it was it was kind of sketchy yeah i can imagine <laughs> yeah any uh, anything else that like stands out and you know, uh, puckerish moments. Um, no, that's those are the, those are like the the ones that kind of stand out in my mind. But even those weren't like super super scary. Like, like mostly I was in both those instances. Like, I wasn't in a position where I was probably gonna get like horribly horribly maimed or anything. I was mostly just like, oh, I can't afford to replace the parts if I crash right now. You know, yeah. or more than what I don't want to pay to replace the parts. Yeah, it'd just be more something that would suck to have to live through. Like, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, if you could, like, if you could have your paramotor and yourself sent anywhere at no cost to you to go fly, where where do you think you would want to go fly? Oh, I think I would want to go to Iceland. Oh, okay. Uh, so, the, so the paramotor I own is uh, from the brand Scout. And the guys I trained with are Team Fly Halo. Those two companies work together. And, like, I don't know how often they do it. They've done it several times. I don't know if they're doing, like, one a year or what. But they've got this program called Adventure Wingman. And uh, basically, I don't know if you have to pay for it. I really don't know a ton about it. But they basically just, like, take dudes and, like, I don't know if it's, like, sponsored. But at least, like, guided. They kind of orchestrate everything. Mm -hmm. And they go, you know fly some badass spot and uh you should look up here uh like a uh, paramotor iceland um they've gone to iceland several times and like flying through um like the canyons and stuff i mean it's so beautiful like they get some crazy pictures in there Oh, okay plus iceland just looks super cool yeah no it does that does look beautiful out there yeah, so I'm someday. I hope I hope to go on that adventure, Wingman. Yeah, go check it out because it's not something that uh, I would ever do by myself. Because they're flying through like these canyons that look like they're in the middle of you know freaking nowhere, and if you if you went down in a canyon, you'd just be gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Dang, that's wild. That's cool though. That would be beautiful. Looks that looks kind of cold, but I'm sure 
It might. I bet it might be like a dry cold though. So maybe if you just bundled bundled up, it's not so bad. But. Yeah, you know, I I'd probably shoot for one of the summer months if I were to go. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, because it's, it's much prettier when you see the pictures of, uh, you know, the mossy mountains than than the the green snowy mountains. I think yeah, with like the, the green uh, with like the black sand. Yeah. From all the volcanic activity out there. Yeah. No, that's definitely some beautiful uh beautiful areas to go. Huh. Well, I'm sure that'll that'll happen. So is this is this um sport growing from what you can tell? I think it is. Like I mean it's it's hard to say uh based on like any sort of observation online really mm-hmm. just because uh you know now it's like oh this guy likes paramotor let's just show him tons of paramotor stuff but like I'm seeing them more often like pretty often someone will see me and be like oh hey man I saw you fly at this place and I'd be like Oh yeah, when was that? And then like yesterday, I was like, I didn't fly yesterday. <laughs> like, yeah. so you didn't see me. So there's more of them out there, and you know, I I see them from time to time. And now that I'm on, uh, you know, following these kind of pages on on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, you know, I'm like seeing people all the time post like like just here in in the area that that we live, kind of in the vicinity of Portland. Um, there's like a paramotor Facebook page. And I see like all the time. So I was just like, Hey, I, I just started flying and I live in the Willamette Valley. And I'm like, Oh, okay. There's another one. Like if I had to guess, I'll bet there's like 20 people in this area that, yeah. that fly. Okay. Yeah. Is there any, um, personalities that you can think of in this? You mentioned someone earlier that won that race, that Icarus race. Yeah. There's, there's a handful of people. Um, so I think like the undisputed most popular one is a guy named tucker got um yeah if you're thinking about getting into the sport um check his stuff out i think he does a pretty good job especially in like his you know like his earlier videos from like a couple years ago um kind of explaining you know setting setting up like real realistic expectations of like what you can do mm-hmm. um with a paramotor um uh, there's a guy uh judson barnett uh, he does uh, more like blog style stuff, but um, yeah, he's pretty cool to watch too. Um, there's a Paramotor podcast. I think it's actually called the Paramotor podcast. I think Anthony Vela, I think, is the guy who makes that. Hmm. Um, I think he started like not super long ago, but he's had some uh, he's had some pretty noteworthy people on it. Like he does a pretty good job of procuring uh guests like he's had uh like the president of uh us ppa on there he's had um a guy named jeff Goyne who wrote a book called uh the paramotor bible and anybody who's thinking about um getting into the sport or anybody who is going to get in the sport but like has to wait for their training date or whatever i would definitely recommend picking up the ppg bible because it is like an awesome resource for learning uh, the legality controls, learning about the equipment. I mean, it's just got anything you could want to know. Yeah. So I guess that's, yeah, that was kind of my next question was if somebody's on the fence, so like, hmm, yeah, maybe, I don't know what, what's your, like, what's your biggest advice to them? Like what's, what's the biggest hook on it for you to where, 
I mean, I know there's a bunch of time and money that you've put invested into this, but like what has you invested to always want to go back up? Because I'm sure there's some kind of inherent risk anytime you leave the, you know, you leave surface and everything. Like what keeps you captivated to want to keep flying? Oh, but I've already spent that much money. I can't stop now. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's not it. Um, I mean, it's, I'm freaking flying, dude. Like, what more do I need? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a blast. Some flights are definitely better than the others. I, I've had flights before where I land, and I was like, yeah, that was fine, but, like, it wasn't great. But then I have a flight that's just, like, 10 out of 10. I land, and, like, I'm just, like, elated, like, in Nirvana. I was like, that flight was freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I guess it's just I'm – I'm always chasing that high on the, of that 10 out of 10 flight, you know? Yeah. And do you, do you usually, um, do you take videos when you go up? Uh, I've, I've got a a GoPro that I have most of the time when I remember to charge it. Um, so yeah, like I'll take, I'll take clips if I'm in like a, you know, I'm going through a spot where I'm like, Oh, this spot's super pretty. Or I'm like, Oh, I'm about to like, you know, do some wing overs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I take, I take little, short videos i end up deleting like 95 percent of them because i'm a garbage cameraman <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you ever post them anywhere like um yeah i post them uh oops, sorry just smack the mic oh, uh i just uh i post them on my instagram uh if you would like to see um some of the places uh some of the little clips um you might get a better idea for like what a wing over looks like or you know just how quick you're cruising around uh my instagram is big daddy underscore beach Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm proud to I'm proud to say that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my last name's Beach also, so Yeah. That's like random. Yes. Yeah, not And too. I'm a father of medium size, not really big, but we can pretend. <laughs> <laughs> well, sweet man. Um I mean that's kind of uh, most of the questions I kinda had and whatnot, but is there anything else that you would like to leave with the listeners on paramotoring or that endeavor in general? Um, yeah, you know, I would say, uh, you know, I partially actually blame you for me getting into the sport because I'd, I'd expressed my interest to Kyle. We've been friends forever and I, I'd, I'd expressed that I was like, Hey, I'd like to do it, but like, you know, I'm trying to save up the money for it, but yeah, you know, we all have lives. We know how it goes when you're trying to save money for something specific stuff comes up and you spend it. And he was like, dude, just take out a personal loan. Like, I'll bet you could do it. And, uh, and yeah, so that's what I finally ended up doing. And uh, it was definitely worth it. So if you're on the fence, you know, you gotta just do it. I think you're not, you're only, you know, wasting, wasting time trying to save money. Just get right into it. Like most of these personal loans is like the interest rate ain't that bad. Just do it. Yeah. You won't, you won't regret it. Check out used stuff online. That's one thing that I do regret is I just went straight out the gate. I was like, give me brand new stuff. And now that I'm on pages, I'm on like buy, sell paramotor pages and stuff. Like, I've, I, you've seen, I've sent you the link so many times where I'm yeah. just like, Hey man, this guy's selling this paramotor with only 12 hours on it for like four grand less than it's worth. Like that is a freaking steal. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you're thinking about getting into it, keep your eyes open for, uh, for one of those, get on those buy sell pages. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's great advice too. Just cause I mean, people, you know, we work hard, we make money and like we throw money at stuff, we save money, but the same, I, I always advise people like, yeah, find something that keeps you wanting to keep working or wanting to keep on, you know, making that, 
money and, you know, take care of yourself and take care of your family, but also staying sane, you know, like when somebody's looking to like buy a car, buy a motorcycle, I always tell them like, don't just buy like what's convenient, you know, buy whatever you want, you know, buy like what you love because you're gonna have to pay for like the gas, the oil change, the tires, the maintenance, like you better love that thing because it's going to cost a bit to take care of it, you know, so at a certain point, your money, it's just money, and it's going to go towards something. Like, make it something you love, you know? Um, and I'm glad that you found something that you really enjoy. Because I could tell, like, there's different things that people talk about in their lives, but this is something that I could tell you really light up when you talk about. And it's cool to, to you know, just know that you're out there doing that and being safe and responsible and whatnot. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Um Thanks for sharing your story, and I look forward to hearing more about uh, your other flights in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, and that's it. Another episode uh, in the books. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and hopefully you'll tell friends and family about the show and that they can check it out on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Apple Podcast app, and probably a bunch of others that I don't even know about. Um, if you have any thoughts or uh, feedback that you want to share with me, feel free to reach out to me at noparticularpodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate your listenership, and I hope you tune back in for the next episode that gets posted, whenever that is. Take care.